I have a really hard time believing that when I'm 40 and I'm back in the corporate world, I have a hard time believing I'm the same man. I really wish I didn't run those few years in my 20s. I really wish I, I kept working. I, I really wish I, I, I stayed behind the desk. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of our fairly new podcast. Today we're talking with Tyler Mueller, one of the athletes in our Roots Running Project group. Tyler, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be on a be on a podcast. I know. Is this your first one? Yeah. Yeah. So you just finished competing at Peachtree on Monday. As we're recording this, you're about to compete in a kind of fun event this weekend, which is a triathlon relay. Tell us how Peachtree went. It was your first time racing in those conditions. It was hot, humid. How do you feel the race went? Yeah, so Peachtree was really my my first race in what I actually just realized was over seven months. Um, So my first race since Club Cross Country Nationals uh, last December. So um, yeah, my first race back in quite a long time due to a stress fracture I suffered in in February. That was right before trials, right? Yeah, basically the week before the Olympic trials and the marathon. So that was no fun and part of the reason I really decided to take the jump out here. But but yeah, uh, to Peachtree, um, yeah, I mean, I had a great time uh, there. I mean, it was an awesome race. And I saw Boulder Boulder, you know, several weeks ago and was just amazed at the size and the scale of it and how the entire city gets up for that. And Peachtree was right up there with it, just enormous. I think about 60,000 people. They, Pretty deceptive course too, right? Similar to Boulder Boulder where yeah. it gets really tough on the back end. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the first 5K is pretty much the first three miles are kind of flat to down, only flat and downhill. And then the the next three miles are pretty much only uphill, a little downhill at the very end. But, man, the, the second 5K is brutal. And in uh, conjunction with running in Atlanta in July, the race went off at 730. But I tell you what, I had to I had to peel my warm ups off my body, even warming up as the sun was coming up. It was that. Yeah, that you said it, it was like you showered, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was gross trying to get my single on. I was worried about ripping my bib because it was. I had to kind of scre- unfurl it over my <laughs> over my body, but uh, yeah. So the race was. Um, you played it a little conservative. Yeah, yeah. It, it was hard to have the have the courage, especially with the conditions and knowing how the second half of the race was was going to be all uphill. It was hard to have the courage to really bomb that downhill like the front runners really did. There was uh, quite a few Kenyans and Ethiopians up front, and then Jared Ward, who we running in the Olympics, so. And two um, two former UK Olympians as well, Chris yeah. Thompson, Scott Overall. Chris Thompson and Scott Overall. So I saw those guys, and they were back kind of in what I would call the chase pack. And I said, you know what? I think these are two great runners. I think I'm I'm good right here, and we'll see how the second half the second half plays out. I have a feeling some of those guys in the front pack are going to be feeling it, and and that was true. I saw guys on their knees. I saw guys walking. I saw a guy on the ground in the second half of the race, and I was just counting down. And I thought, oh wow, I might actually be top ten if I can hold off these guys running with me in the chase pack. So kind of the chase pack kind of dwindled and dwindled, and it was me and the guy, Scott Overall, and the guy Who named... won last year. Scott Overall won, yeah, won last year uh, in a pretty uh, dramatic finish, and they really played that up big time. Him and Ben Payne had an interesting uh, finish there where Scott Overall snuck by him at the finish line as Ben Payne was celebrating, and Ben Payne was a great sport about it, and he, he kicked ass on Monday, so he really um, redeemed himself. So anyway, yeah, I was kind of racing with that chase pack and figured this was this is this is a good pack for me and we'll see what we can 
but we can do the second half of the race. And I was really engaged with them and started pushing with about a mile, mile and a half to go and was uh, running with a guy named Tim Young, who got 11th in the marathon trials just in LA. And I was like, who is Tim Young when I saw him on the results? And he's actually a 214 marathon. I used to run with Hanson's. Uh-huh. I figured, oh, I'm running with Tim Young. It's got overall. I'm, I'm in good company right here. Was able to pull away from them a, a little bit at the end and finished and thought it might have been top 10. Took a while to find out. I think it was actually 11. One out of the top 10, one out of the money is, you know, always a little, little tough, but you know, it was, it was a good start and yeah, the good time, solid race path. Yeah, the time was nothing to write home about, but uh, I don't think you, I didn't put too much emphasis on, on the time that day. I was focused on, on racing and uh, yeah, the conditions were too much of a, of a wild card. And you, you told me after the race, you had a good conversation with Chris Thompson, the former British Olympian. And what advice did he give you? Oh man, yeah. So he got I, you pretty fired up. Yeah, yeah. So I was. I mean, I'm an. I'm a huge running running nerd, and part of the reason uh, I decided to come out here, and I feel like I really got along with Richie and Noah well, who are very similar, similarly nerdy, um, <laughs> and. So I saw Chris Thompson, and this guy is like a sub-27, 30 guy. Uh, I think he ran 13, 11. And you look at him, and he just looks like a regular dude. That's the best part. And he said, and he, you know, he's not that, not that tall, not particularly skinny. Not, he's just a regular-looking guy who has accomplished some amazing things when he was running for OTC. Um, and Coach Roland. And Co- yeah, and Coach Roland. And he, had, he just had some awesome anecdotes and some awesome uh, just wisdom to give me, talking about... I, and so the first thing I asked him, I was just like, well, what's it like training with OTC? Such a, you know, they, they've probably got all the, the perks, all the knickknacks, all the best training technology, going to altitude, competing on every world team that UK puts together for a while. And he said, man, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a particularly uh, like physical specimen, but just year after year of smart training. He's like, people think, oh, OTC, those guys must just be running themselves into the ground. Unbelievable workouts, unbelievable day after day after day after day and he was telling me about how he really believes in that that 7:30 pace easy day. They don't train harder. He said if if training hard was the answer, then everyone in the NCAA would 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 be awesome because so many young guys in in, a, in the NCAA are probably just overtraining and and they're frying themselves and not allowing themselves to recover. I mean, they trained hard when they were supposed to and that's exactly what we do here. But they take their recovery seriously and they train smart. One thing he talked about a lot that I thought was interesting is they kept a pretty close close tabs on on their blood profile. So he said sometimes he would if if his if his if his levels were off, maybe his thyroid was really low, and that's just a symptom of overtraining. And he would take an extend he would go weeks without putting his heart rate over 150, just because the answer is not train harder. If you're running if you're not running if you're not running well. Those guys, it's not because they're slacking off; it's because they're running too hard. And I think that's the, I think that's the truth with 90% of NCAA runners and post collegiate runners. If they're not running well, it's not because they're not motivated and they're and they're half-assing it. It's because they're doing the exact opposite. And it takes so much discipline, so much confidence in yourself and in your, in your coach and your training to back off. I mean, that's just that's just how it's just the American philosophy: is work hard and keep working harder, no sleep grindstone. Yeah, and it'll pay off. And sometimes you just, that's not the answer. Especially during summertime when college kids are kind of left to their own devices. I mean, you came out to Boulder last summer and trained for a bit. Getting ready for your your cross-country seasons were a little bit aggressive, some of which helped you improve to a a certain degree. But it also caused an injury Mm -hmm. later on in that cycle if you're not careful. 
Totally, yeah. So I really learned the hard way. My really my freshman and sophomore year in college, I was not getting it done. Um, and you went to Lehigh. Yes, yeah, so I went to Lehigh University, and I was not get. I was having a really hard time with just the length of the season. And I think you see a lot of guys that come out guns blazing in August and September. No one, you know, when by the time November rolls around, no one gives a hoot how well you ran at the the Johnny Hot Dog six k season Invitational. opener. And it's in all the blue about, division. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> in the blue division. And, and and I, w- I would come into the first two years, I would come into cross country season looking good and smashing the workouts and just typical freshmen coming in really fit. And the older guys said, all right, just wait, wait till November. We'll see what these guys, how good this guy feels. And so I really learned even I did go to altitude. I went to Durango or I went to Mancus uh, with the Mancus project, which is kind of a cool idea that didn't quite pan out. Um, I went out to Mancus, a very remote town in southwestern Colorado. And uh, we went out there and we hardly ran. We were out there for almost two months and we ran like one workout just just easy mileage and just enjoying running just just going out there putting in mileage easy you know absorbing the altitude we figured that would help but june and july and early august are not the time to be especially with collegiates who can't necessarily hold a peak or hold a high level of fitness forever as a younger runner so we really just uh embraced relaxed runs out there and in the beauty of, of Colorado we neither of us ever been anywhere like that and, and what what year was that for you that would have been the summer before my senior year of cross country and that was t- would have been 2013 and that was also your best year track wise too obviously and and some of that could be attributed to your a senior so you've had time mm-hmm. to develop into the college system but like you and I were talking about before we started recording your PRs your freshman year in the 5k were what 1530 yeah so I, I came out of the I came out of the gates hot I think I ran in the 1520s my very first outdoor 5k my coach was pumped and my teammates were like, wow Tyler you're doing great and then of every race after that, I got slower and slower. By the time I think I just squeaked under 16 minutes, my last 5K. DFL, my first ever DFL in a race. Uh, and, oh man, I just limped through the end of that of that track season. And that's kind of like I was saying. It's just pacing yourself and being patient and trusting that if you stick to the plan, you're going to be ready to go. And a lot of guys are kind of fried. And you see that so much in the NCAA, that guys are running well at Stanford. By the time regionals rolls around, it's just, it's a battle of attrition well and that's something that's kind of beautiful you you obviously live with noah one of your teammates and you guys have pretty similar stories in terms of you're kind of late bloomers to the sport you have pretty modest prs your freshman year similar modest prs your sophomore year and you gradually move up to where you hit a regional mark um, your senior year to go to ncaa's then post-collegiately you self-coach. PR even even greater, obviously moving up in distance to the half marathon based on what your PRs were in college. That progression was pretty pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. So what made you want to self-coach versus trying to seek out a training group? Yeah, so I, I, actually, I want to jump back quickly to just like my, my college progression and I can give you an idea of how that went. So I need to give a big shout out to, to Lehigh University and my coach Todd Edders there. Did a lot of um, really just Dan- Jack Daniels training and that's kind of you know, a speed workout, a week, a tempo workout every week, and then maybe a race or something else on Saturday. And uh, yeah, so my freshman year, fifteen twenty was my best race. My sophomore year, I, I opened up my indoor season with a little PR, fifteen ten maybe, and then I PR'd by ten to fifteen seconds, like five races in a row. And by the end of the of my sophomore year, I ran fourteen twenty or something like that. So I was really, I took almost a minute off my 5K PR my sophomore year. And that, that spring is really when I started to 
put things together. And I had some teammates that were on the same trajectory as me, and we were just pushing each other, all sophomores. Junior year, uh, I put it together in cross country for the first time. I think I ran 24.05 at pre-nationals. That was when it was at Louisville, so a very fast course. I had some injury issues, but I did end up running uh, 14.19. Uh, pieced that together very late in the, in the, the track season after missing an entire indoor season junior year. And then, uh, so senior year, I went to altitude over the summer, and I, I wasn't smashing at altitude. I was just running at altitude and pacing myself, and I actually got a little injury when I got to school. That was that ended up not being an issue. I ran some some, some good races. I think I ran a 23.34 or so at Princeton's course. I think I broke the course record, and then Maxim Korolev broke it by like one second the next week at HEPS. So that, I was pretty proud of that. And indoors, I, I won conference uh, in cross country. I won 3K and 5K indoors. Uh, so I was really doing well in the conference. And then uh, outdoors, uh, I ran 29.19 for this 10K, uh, broke 14, PR'd by about 15 seconds in one race and broke 14 in the 5K and suffered an avicular stress fracture the next day. Um, on, on my easy run, I couldn't finish an, an, hour, an hour easy and something was wrong. And that was it. So I had regional marks in the 5K and the 10K and was not able to compete at conference or regionals. And that, for those at home, an navicular stress fracture is a pretty bad one. It's a higher risk area uh, because that bone is particularly susceptible to uh, avascular necrosis and sometimes does require surgery. You were fortunate yours did not require that. Yeah, well, it was sort of interesting because when that happened, I was very bitter about it uh, and very spiteful towards the sport of running in general. And I figured I would never run competitively again anyway. My my, my, my dream was to make it to Eugene and finish an All-American in the 10K right off into the sunset and be like, I was, a, I came, I came very far in my college career and I'm ready to turn the page. And I think... To some degree, that is the reason I am I am still running today. Is Which, because. that surprises me to hear that, not just from you knowing you now, but that is a somewhat common trend among Division One college athletes. Yeah, it was totally, I, I, I think if I would have finished as an All-American, I think I would have just been very comfortable capping it and saying, hey, that was that was a good ride while it lasted. Like you said, it was, some of the, it was kind of the culture on my team. I mean, I, I came from a, a, a mid-major D1 team. We didn't have any guys that were really pursuing running very seriously post-collegiately. And I went to a, a very good school. I graduated with a degree in biomedical engineering, pretty highly regarded engineering school. And I got a good job right out of college for a company called Epic, which is a um, industry-leading electronic health record uh, medical software company. And so it was, you know, it was making, well, I was excited to make, make money and move out to the Midwest, move out to Madison, Wisconsin, which is actually a beautiful city. Um, the winters were rough. Um, but awesome city, very young city. I, I really enjoyed my time in Madison um, and, and, and at my job. And You were working, what, 50 to 60 hours a week? Yeah. So, and you were having to travel quite mm -hmm. a bit for your job as well. So, yeah, kind of the, the way I would describe it is that the first six months to a year at the company is more kind of you're getting your feet wet and they're training you and they're slowly giving you more and more of a workload. But after a year, you're really at capacity and that's when you're putting in an easy 50 hours a week. And if you're not, when you're not at work, you're still thinking about it and you're still stressing about it. Uh, so how did you fit running around that? Yeah. And so, so the first couple of months I was, my foot was still broken. I didn't really care. I figured it would, it would heal eventually. I'm not going to run competitively again anyway. I'd rather just golf, rather join a golf league, maybe, a, maybe a beer softball league. That sounds fun. But I met up some guys who ran for a, a shoe store called Moving Shoes. And uh, they were like, oh, hey, like, come out for a run with us. Like, come out, for, come run. And, and I was starting to get a little bit of a belly. I'm getting a little self-conscious of it. 
So I started to go for some runs after work, and that was totally manageable. And, and with the attitude I had towards it for the first three or four months that I was working, it was totally manageable. You know, just get out there. If I'm too busy, no, I couldn't run today. No big deal. If I can, the weather's nice. Sure, I'll go out for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Hammer it, of course. Burn as many calories as I can in that time to try to lose some weight. And you weren't following any particular plan. It was just oh, yeah, by I was just going out there. It's a beautiful place to run, and I just embraced running around the lakes and running in the, the arb. Did you um, compete very much during that time? No, I, so I, I didn't compete at all, really. And then um, I found out the club cross-country nationals were going to be back at Lehigh that, that winter. And I found out a couple of my buddies were going to do it. And I was like, oh, hell, I, I'm going to do it. I don't want to embarrass myself either. I'm, I can train a little bit. And this was 2014? Yeah, this was the tail end of 2014. And then, you know, a 40-mile week turned into a 50-mile week, turned into a 60-mile week, turned into a 70-mile week. Uh, I did a little 15K race in Milwaukee that I ended up winning. And I ran maybe 5-10 pace for nine miles. And I was like, oh, man, this, this is going to be fun. I'm going to run with moving shoes. And, uh, yeah, like I said, work wasn't breaking my back yet i was able to yeah i was able to train without really stressing too much about working without traveling very much went to club cross country nationals and i had actually put together a couple hundred mile weeks at that point had you hit a hundred in college i don't think my coach knew but i might i might i think i think there was one or two one or two weeks just to check it off the bucket list uh that that i might have hit a hundred but i was i was uh more in the 80s I had averaged in the 80s. So this was still relatively new territory for you. Yeah, and, and, and it was it was different because I I was training by myself still most of the time, maybe with a couple coworkers, but I wasn't doing the near the quality or the density of the quality that I used to be doing. So I was like, oh, well, I, I'm not going to go out on the track and, and, and crank 400s by myself. So I was doing high mileage, about 100, maybe close to 110. How many weeks in a row did you do that? Starting in November, I'd, I probably hit two straight months of consistent 100 to 110 staying healthy still feeling staying good. healthy yeah i couldn't believe i just yeah my foot breaks again it breaks again not you know i'm still not fully invested yet yeah not fully invested and still having fun with it that was a nice thing I, I wasn't putting pressure on myself at all i never expected to approach my prs from college ran club cross country and i think i got i want to say i got like 13th at club at club nationals and i was like within seven seconds of making that edinburgh team I was like, holy God, I just beat some great guys. And, and, I, and I, I, I beat my, my old course record, uh, my old high course record uh, in the cross-country the cross country 10K. Um, and that was the time that qualified me for NCAA finals in cross-country. Um, so I was like, holy smokes, I'm, I'm fit. And then I decided, oh, I'm going to try to break 65 now. I signed up for the, the Houston Half Marathon, which was the USA Half Champs in January. January of, yeah, very beginning of 2015. Yeah, very, very strong. I mean, I was looking at the start list and I was like, if I get top 40, I'll be pretty happy. And I think something like 40 guys broke 65 that day. And I ended up finishing 11th. The first mile was 450. And I was like, well, this is a little fast, but hey, it's money in the bank because I'm going to be, I'm going to be feeling it later and I can slow down. Next mile was 450. Next mile was 450. 15 flat through 5K, 30 flat through 10K, 45 through, 45 flat through 15K, 60 flat through 20k and i ran a 6321 um for 11th place once again just shy of top 10 there's not many guys out there that can say that they debut that fast especially considering the the prs that you had going in totally was there any indicator that you were in that type of fitness i I had a feeling i was fitter than i never had been well i knew i was fitter than i ever ever had been and there was one workout i'm not sure we've talked about this one but i did the day after christmas i did 10 by mile with one minute rest on the track in trainers, actually, my dad was out there holding the stopwatch, 
and I did 10 by mile from 455 down to 445 with one minute rest. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, but, but, but then again, the thought of stringing 13 of those together with no rest, I was like, well, still, I still think 458 pace is going to be hard. And yeah, I guess just to jump back, I was training myself um, during this time period. I've always been a big running nerd, and I love, I read multiple editions of Jack Daniels' training formula. Which makes sense, obviously, coming from the collegiate system. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I was comfortable with, and that's what I had seen success with, and I think it's a, I think it's, it's a conservative training system. Now, you, uh, you obviously being a runner nerd, and a lot of people that might be listening to this, some of them may use the McMillan running calculator online. Some of them may use the Jack Daniels running calculator. From your experience with potentially using both, have you found one that was more accurate at kind of assessing your fitness based on workouts going into different races? I really never used McMillan that much. Uh, actually, I'm trying to think. We used this thing. And McMillan <laughs> was a Jack Daniels protege. Okay, yeah. So my, my Lehigh friends will know we use this website called runbyu.com, and that was where you plug in your you plug in what you think you can run for 5K at that time, and then it tells you your V dot and tells you your paces for a T or a tempo workout or a repetition workout is roughly mile pace. Uh, I workout is roughly 3K, 5K pace. Um, so I really went with whatever run by you is. I don't know what that is, but um, yeah, I sort of went by that and just did a, a one T workout a week and then either an I or an R workout because I like the T workouts. I've, been, I've always been a strength runner. And T being tempo, T I being tempo. interval, R for repetition. Yeah. So yeah, so I very, very, very uh, bread and butter workouts like Cruise intervals, mile repeats with one minute rest, two mile repeats with two minute rest, 20 minute tempo. And otherwise I do a eight by one K with three minutes rest or 12 by 400. And, you, and your jog. mileage still being around that 100 going into that. Uh-huh. And like I said, I, I had a hard time holding myself accountable to really getting on the track and doing hard workouts. So I kind of did my Tyler Mueller Wimp version of, of, of Jack Daniels training, which was doing a lot of stuff by field. So just doing a lot of fart like type. So instead of going on the track and doing six by mile with one minute rest, I would just do six by five minutes on one minute off. Or instead of doing 400s, I would just do a 12 mile run, but in the middle of it, I'd do 12 by one minute on two minutes easy. Not really tracking pace. Not tracking pace, just going by effort and... I think you can get pretty fit off that. Would um, you track mileage or just estimate mileage? I track. I, I, I really only track mileage because I because I was on runningtowin.com and I wanted to be on the leaderboard. So nice. Um, so that was that's pretty important to me and the, my buddies that I was training with. We, were, we would have leaderboard competitions and uh, yeah. So that was more your motivating factor than was the leaderboard. <laughs> yeah, I want to get early in the race time. Nice, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was really my philosophy and, and I guess really very close to what I was doing in college but a little bit less intensity a little bit more mileage because that's it was just it came easier for me and then when winter comes in Madison that's when that's like the dark the dark time going going into that half did you have to do much on the treadmill mm, because of the winter yes especially the, especially the last couple of weeks leading up to the race but I knew I was tapering anyway so I was like gosh just put it on seven just put it on seven minute pace and run 10 miles and and that, that that was fine. That was fine for me. Yeah, that race was totally up in my eyes, and and I was like, wow, I just beat some amazing guys. Uh, I think it's the fastest half marathon of anyone my age or younger currently, except for Scott Fauble. I realized he ran sixty three low mm-hmm. um, at the U.S. Half Champs a couple about a month. Or yeah, two but you ago. weren't too far off where that time was. I wasn't. Yeah, so I still have one of the fastest um, half. I think the second fastest half marathon time of anyone. In, class of 2014 or younger how do you feel you came off that race 
that's really when things changed for me. Um, that's when work really started picking up um, for me, and I took a long time off. I had a bad habit of really embracing the off-seasons and getting all the bad habits out of my system. Um, gain, Especially I, in Madison. It's yeah, party town. Yeah, yeah, gain, yeah. Very, so many fun places to go out. I had all my friends. None of my friends were half of my friends weren't runners at all and didn't didn't understand and they just wanted to go out and they're like Tyler you're finally you're finally fun again um it just makes the comeback so much harder and then so then my next goal was to qualify for USA's in the 10k so run 28 30 or thereabouts I mean and I and I plugged my half marathon into the run by you calculator the McMillan calculator or whatever and it said it said a couple different calculators told me anywhere from 28 30 to 28 25 and I was like there we go um, I just got to get back to that fitness. That's when I, that's when I really started to, to feel that I was burning the candle on both ends. And so working hard, running a lot mm-hmm. more so than you've ever done mm-hmm. racing long distance. And I'm assuming too, even though, like you said, like it's a more conservative approach doing higher volume, your intensity is a little bit lower. So trying to come off of that half with the higher volume and try to turn it back over for faster stuff on the track. It's tough to do. It was, yeah. A lot of people found that out, obviously, this past year with the marathon trials, trying then to turn back for trial standards going into track. Yeah, so I think I really, so I actually, I think I managed to get in some decent shape. I did a, I did a little half marathon, and this was kind of dumb, but I just wanted to win some money. I did a little half marathon in Rockford, Illinois, and ran just over 65 minutes in a very controlled effort. Went out in 510 pace for the, almost the first half of the race, and we really cranked it down because there were some Kenyans that showed up. I didn't expect them to be there, but I said, hey, I'm not going to back down and race these guys. So, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm in pretty good shape. That was, that was pretty pretty controlled, a little bit of a hillier 65 minutes. Um, but then but then we, I, lo- I love this analogy that we learned talking about pulling up your carrots before a race. I needed to prove to myself that I could run 28.30, so I, started, I, started, I wanted to hit these indicator workouts. And for those of you at home, <laughs> pulling up your carrots was a, a quote we heard from Mark Plachis. Uh, or Lorraine Muller talking yeah. about before her uh, Olympic marathon of how many people try to do these killer workouts to kind of see where their race day fitness is, but they pull up their car- carrots too early to see how much they've grown and it, it ruins the carrot. You ruin your fitness. You end up getting overtrained, hurt, sick, because you're kind of riding that line between optimizing performance and overtraining. And it's too, it's it's pretty frequent. So you had that experience, obviously, going into this race. Yeah, I was, I mean, 2830. My PR was 2919, still is 2919 today. But I needed to prove to myself that I could run 2830, that I could run 68s. And so I was doing these workouts, 4 by 2 k at 10K pace. Um, so I was kind of, you know, roll, trying to roll 250s. So what is that, 540? For for two Ks and I and I hit those workouts, but I was on my back afterwards. I've never been gone so deep, and I was I needed I was like oh, I need to get tougher. I need to prove to myself that I can do this. This is what all the good guys are doing, and maybe some of them are, but I've never been the guy. I've never been a workout hero. I've always been the guy that you know is working out. Usually working out with guys that I end up beating them in races. And college was sort of that way. The front group always sort of worked out together, and me, Jimmy, and Ryan Mahalski. Uh, would usually work out together, and I'd be like, "Wow, these guys are kicking! These guys are really pushing the workout. I'm struggling to keep up with them." But sure enough, I find myself maybe a little out front of them a little bit in most races, and I sort of embraced that. I'm a good racer, and I'm a smart, a smart trainer. So I was sort of just going against my my natural instinct and going against uh, the way I had, I had six, uh, you know gotten come so far as a runner. And I ran out to Portland Track Festival. Uh, it wasn't a great 
as it wasn't nearly the field that it was uh, this year. I'm not, I'm not making excuses, but I went out there, came through in a 14-15 for 5K, closed in a 15-15 for the second 5K, and that was the time when I decided I started to feel like I wasn't really enjoying running anymore. So that was really when I got the idea that I should commit to it. Either quit running or quit or quit working for a little bit. That was really what I, I was really on the fence with it. And his work is so comfortable. It's so comfortable earning a paycheck. You know? One, it's what you went to school for. Too. Yeah. And that's what, that's, that's what Americans do. They go to school. I went to an expensive school and my parents, nice enough to help, help me pay for. And, and, and I felt like I owed it to myself and owed it to my family and owed it to my, you know, to everyone to go, go out there and just, you know, I had this great job and. You know, I, I probably never really have to sweat anything financially the rest of my life if I just, you know, give up this running thing and just uh, be a regular human. Um, and you almost made the jump last summer. You came out yeah. to Boulder to train. You had also checked out. So that was like last spring. Last that was spring. that was like last March actually. Um, so I got so after that sixty three twenty, I got some a lot of interest actually because people were like, "Who the heck is this guy? He's probably more of a a diamond in the rough." Like, this guy went to a smaller school, uh, was maybe poised to have a decent performance nationally, um, and then got injured right away. Talked to uh, NAZ of Ben Rosario out of NAZ Elite. I talked to... And you were really interested in their group. Yeah. Oh, man. And they had just they had just gotten the Hoka deal, and uh, Ben just seemed like a great guy. Uh, seemed really... I was so flattered that they were interested, and they... And, I mean, the, so there were kind of two factors that went into it. One of them being that their group was really just marathoners at that point. It was like guys like Scott Smith and Matt Yana, who are great, great runners. But I wasn't really interested in doing marathon yet. And these were kind of some guys that were a little bit older than me, um, a little bit of an age gap. And I was like, like a Ben Bruce, like a Ben Bruce, yeah. And I said, oh, man, I, I'd rather focus on the five k and ten k for a little bit. I think marathon might be ultimately what I want to do, but I think I got to bring these track times down. You know, I want to. I want to run in the low twenty eights. I want to. I want to run in the mid thirteens. So, and then, yeah. Then also, uh, I have a girlfriend um, named Elizabeth Weiler, who uh, she's actually running for New Mexico in the fall. Just uh, finished up at Lehigh as well. Just finished up at Lehigh. She was an All American in cross country as a junior, and then had some injury issues after that. Uh, some stress fractures. Well, and that was a blessing in disguise, I guess, for our group too, because. Her, her game, those stress fractures, made you make the decision to hold off a year mm-hmm. until you figured out what she was going to do. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, her and I both never imagined she'd be getting offers to go run for a school like New Mexico. She's a very good student, uh, biomedical engineering major. Uh, I figured she, there's almost no way in hell she'd end up in Flex to want to go to Flagstaff, Arizona. I figured she would get more of a um, real person job and want to live somewhere not so. And Flagstaff's great for running, and I would love to visit there. I'd love to. I'd love to train there, but. I sort of took that into account too, and we were already doing a long distance thing, and I didn't want to prolong that any longer. Um, so really, we have a very good relationship. I didn't want to you know, put any more strain on it. Um, felt bad enough about going out to Madison, and uh, funny enough, Albuquerque is actually pretty close to Flagstaff, much closer than it is to Boulder. But you know, yeah. I don't regret my decision at all. But so partially was, because you have a great teammate. Oh yeah, <laughs> Boulder is an awesome city. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, and we'll talk about it. But I, I'm loving it out here, and it's going great. But uh, and then they went off and signed. Uh, you know, some, some great young guns like Scott Lutz, Ryan Donner, Scott Fawball. Yeah. Um, if I get some, bring some more guys in this year and yeah. I was like, oh man, like those guys would have been, those guys are my, just my event group, perfect guys to train with. And, uh, not that the guys on the team weren't, but I, you know, I just, 
Did you were used to the party lifestyle of Madison. <laughs> yeah. You were yeah, the party lifestyle of Flagstaff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I ended up turning that down, and, and that was a lot of people scratched their heads at that. But I just, the information I had at the time, uh, I still believe it was the right decision. And so I had this really crappy race at Portland Track Festival. That was my that was my ending race. I was hoping to qualify for USA's. I ran 29.30, and I was like, well, I still have qualified for the marathon trials. I'm going to run the marathon trials. I'm not really interested in running a marathon. This is, this is the Olympic trials. I'm going to run. There are, so many, I mean, there are so many people that would kill to be in the situation that I was in. So I was like, oh, well, here we go. Here's another seven months of training that I'm going to have to kind of get through. And then I sort of saw the marathon trials as being maybe that last hurrah. And since I wasn't really enjoying it anymore and quitting running or just competitively, not taking it as seriously. So I started training, got in decent shape again. I ran the, I got to run in the 12K road championships. I finished 15th there. And, you know, the place doesn't sound that good, but that's kind of like the meat of champions of the road races. And they ran 35.10 there, and I was hoping to break 36. I ran 35.10. So, oh, I'm like, oh, in okay shape. Went back, got to club cross country, which I had a blast in uh, the year before and running with my team, um, moving shoes. Went out there, and I finished very similarly in the teens within 10 seconds of making the Edinburgh team right there, sniffing guys that are full-time runners, contract runners. And I'm just, damn, I'm like, I'm knocking on the door. I'm so close. And it's still similar type of, really the same training, same type of training, really almost no different at all. I just wanted to get that 63-20 magic back again. Same sort of thing. And then I was like, oh, I got to, and doing club cross country was kind of almost my main emphasis. And then, oh yeah, the, the marathon trials, which I had no expectations for myself in my first marathon. It, it's almost dumb to go into your first marathon um, with huge expectations, especially coming off the, I was more training for that cross country 10K and then I was just going to tack, tack on a few long runs, you know, eight weeks of, of a hard long run once a week. And that was marathon training, um, just to not embarrass myself out there. And you were still at this point running consistently over a hundred. Yeah. So I was probably, I was probably even closer to one ten a week, but yeah, very low quality. I mean, lower quality, a lot of fart, like a lot of effort based stuff, especially yeah. Cause that the winter was coming in and it's just, you can't, can't get on a track. I would get a lot of stuff on a flat indoor 200 track, which. And you were still working as much as you were. And I was working more than ever, working yeah. more than ever. And so this all kind of culminated in a business trip that I was required to go on the week before the Olympic Trials Marathon. Healthy at this point. Well, actually, I just, I got a blister on my foot from doing a three by three mile, a three by three mile with two minutes rest on the indoor track on a flat two hundred. So that's building some mental toughness more than anything else there. And I got a no surprise, I got a blister on my foot from running a thousand turns that day. And you know, I'm not gonna. Uh, we're we're tough guys. I'm not going to stop running because of a blister. And so I'm not going to stop it. The pain was totally tolerable. But the thing is, you're running 100 miles a week and you're just subconsciously landing slightly different on your foot. I was even tapering then. I was like, oh, I'm, I, I worked 90 hours the week, that week on the business trip. I was like, you know what? I'm tapering. Don't sweat it. Training isn't going to be stressful. Let's get out there and run every day, every day after whatever hellish shift I just did. A couple of days into that business trip, my foot started burning about three miles away from my hotel, too, in Pittsburgh. And I walked in the middle of late January or early February all the way back to my hotel. And I was like, that's okay, man. Like, what, take a couple days off. It's fine. Probably strain something in your foot. You're going to, you know, the haze in the barn. And I tried to run, the, I tried to run two days later. Like, I, I couldn't make it a mile. I was like, oh my gosh, this is okay. So two more days off, try to run again. Couldn't make it three minutes. And I was like, I think my foot's broken. 
I actually couldn't even get it imaged until after the marathon trials because I flew right from Pittsburgh out to LA. I had the flights booked, hotel or Airbnb all all squared away. My parents were coming out to watch the race, and I was like, "Well, I physically cannot run a mile, so I'm not I'm not even gonna gonna line up." Uh, Four day getaway in LA after uh, winter in Mat in the middle of winter in Madison is still pretty nice and. So part of me thinks it was a blessing in disguise that was my first marathon because if I wanted to keep marathoning, I think that'd be a very likely be a very very bad first experience with a marathon. Um, but what it did do was give you the big sense of qualifying for U.S. team there in person, mm-hmm. especially seeing the likes of a Galen Rupp making his debut in those mm-hmm. same. Cons- Conditions and Meb so, at his age, obviously, showing yeah. Long oh, and then seeing Jared Ward and, and and I got to meet him a little bit and at Peachtree, and he's an awesome guy, huge fan of that guy. But uh, so once again, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, it's the same exact thing where I kind of imagined that was the marathon was my chance to kind of ride off into the sunset. Look how far I came! I'm an Olympic marathon trials qualifier, ran in the marathon. Once again, I was denied that experience. I I decided. Kind of, as I was in L.A., I was like, I'm going to quit my job the day I get back. And if I don't do it the first day, I think I might never do it. The very first day I got back to work, I put in my notice. And I scheduled the meeting with my boss, and I remember shaking, walking in there. And, I was, and my boss was actually a really cool guy and a pretty big runner himself. And he was like, Tyler, I'm so glad you told me that because I could see it in your eyes that you're not happy right now. Um, and that you you kind of have this, this this itch that you need to scratch. you got to get this this thing off your back. and yeah, it's something when Aaliyah's been talking to some of the girls that were talking about potentially moving out here and joining the group, one of the questions that they posed to her is, well, should I do it now or should I save up some money and then do it when I feel like financially I can comfortably do it? She She's always given the response, well, I don't know your financial limitations or benefits, but I do know that it's tough to train in one place when your heart is in another. And that sounds like a very similar experience to yourself. Yeah. And so, so for me, it was a little bit different because from these girls, some of these girls that we're talking to are awesome collegiate runners who I think have a lot more, it makes a lot more sense for them to pursue post-collegiate running. And not that running 1358, which is my PR, means that you shouldn't, but I wasn't, I was you know, there were so many guys ahead of, ranked ahead of me and so many guys ahead of me that were going to just get regular jobs. And it was really that 6320 that I was like, okay, actually I could... If I start training seriously, if I really start living a more conducive lifestyle, because, I mean, I was training. I was running, logging high mileage and getting in solid training. Yeah, you were training seriously. Almost it just wasn't structured. But almost nothing else about my life was conducive to running fast. Yeah. I can tell you that right now. But would you give the advice to a post-collegiate running in a similar situation to yourself, do the self-coaching route for a while before pursuing post-collegiate, or join a post-collegiate system if that's the decision that you're passionate about, versus get a job, save some money before making that decision. I would say if you're passionate about it, take the step, take the jump right away. It's o- it only makes more and more sense to do it earlier on in your life. Cause yeah, I'm not going to kid myself. And I know that eventually I need to get back into join the real world again, basically. And yeah, there, there's very few guys. I mean, yeah, if you're top three in the NCAA, absolutely. If you're getting a contract offer, absolutely. But then there's so many guys that are running that, that aren't getting, everyone runs 1350 these days. And uh, and they're not going to get any interest. Um, so I really needed to, I was a unique situation where I wasn't even interested in running anymore because I was very spiteful towards the sport. I had a very, very sad ending to my career and I was ready to be done. And I never even occurred to me that I would ever really 
have that burning desire to run again. And it just, it was very slow and very gradual. Before I knew it, I was like, wow, I, I really like, I, I just want to see what I can do. Like just more curiosity than anything else. And I think if you're a guy that is graduating college and, and you're still, you're certain that you still think you can get better, you, you have to just believe that you can get better. You think of these reasons in your head why you can get better. And I knew, I knew I had those reasons because I had run 63.20. But, yeah, like I said, there were all these things. I mean, I don't – I think I know a little bit about running and about coaching. But even if, you're a, even if you're a great coach, coaching yourself almost never works out unless you're, you know, you've been around the block. When you're in your 30s, you get some of these guys coaching themselves, and they know what's up. They know what works for them. But I was or certain. they just can't find the, the right style of coach, mm-hmm. too, that they can relate to, bounce ideas off, and really have that more, like, collaborative relationship. And so, yeah, and so for me, yeah, so, so yeah, like you said, I'm not really quite that typical dude that is dying to keep running and, and is dreading getting the desk job. I was sort of looking forward to that and going to happy hour, going to trivia, joining the beer league, golfing a lot. I love golf. Getting corporate to, Olympics. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Do, doing, doing a couple of corporate races, um, you know, getting a beer belly. I don't care. Like, that sounds good to me. And, I, and it took me, it took me time to realize Maybe when I'm older, maybe when I'm in my 30s, I might that I think I'll be okay with that. But right now, I still have this this itch. I just I can't describe it as anything but an itch that I need to I need to get this this monkey off my back and know when I'm 40 when I'm when I'm 40 knowing that I gave it my best and I have a really hard time believing that when I'm 40 and I'm back in the corporate world, I have a hard time believing I'm the same man. I really wish. I didn't run those few years in my 20s. I really wish I, I kept working. I, I really wish I, I, sit, I stayed behind the desk because I missed out on some stuff. Or I, that really would have changed where I, where I am now. Yeah, I think almost anyone you talk to who was a runner, and you, people I talk to who are older and say, man, I, I totally should have done that. I totally should have done this, this thing that I was passionate about in my 20s. I totally should have done anything. Yeah, it's not running. It's anything. I totally should have traveled. I totally should backpacking Europe. Yeah, I totally backpacked Europe and just be broke for a few years. Because by the time you're 40, I, I maybe will have been working for 13 years, 12 years. I have run through 2020 or something like that, and I will have been working for 12 years by then, and I'll probably be totally sick of it again already. And I find it hard to believe that I'll be like, man, I really wish I was behind the desk those years in my mid 20s. I, and so yeah, you really want to be at least. Happy sitting behind the mm-hmm. minivan at soccer <laughs> practice, reminiscing about those years. Yeah, while Jimmy's finishing up, totally. Yeah, I can start telling guys my, my fish stories and my five kpr gets faster every year. Yeah, so, so that was just sort of my, my mentality, and it's, it's and I and I mean I don't I don't I don't know if if Richie would like hearing this, but I even thought like even if I try it and I just suck and I just suck for two years, I give it two years and I'm getting worse. I'm injured. I'm not liking it. I can still be comfortable with the fact that I hung them up and that I gave it a try. It wasn't for me. I had maxed out whatever. I don't think that's true. Um, even if that happens, I'm saying, I'm say, you know what? I'm finally at peace with like my running career. Well, and one of the things that we keep saying with, like obviously our group is focused on long-term development, but we don't really know what someone's genetic limitations are. You take someone like you're – teammate roommate Noah who is a 1437 guy and this run this year runs 1349 1437 pre before the season averages 1410 in his 10k 
there's, there's people like that that are just untapped potential, underdeveloped, but have the right mental makeup, just passion and drive for that sport, just as much as there are guys that run top five at NCAA Division One, don't do anything as a post-collegiate career and are fizzled out or, and out of the sport within two years. So it's not always the talented that ends up succeeding, especially at that post-collegiate level, which is yeah. much more difficult and structured than a collegiate system, especially if you are on one of those teams. But it really does take time to develop, even as a post-collegiate athlete. It, it, it's hard to have that one-year, two-year cap when you see a Molly Huddle being Molly Huddle now in her late 20s. She wasn't that Molly Huddle when she was first out of school. She was hurt. Mm-hmm. She was running the... 1540 high 1550s for a number of years before dropping below that 1520 mark. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that we've kind of taken pride in yourself and Aaliyah, how Noah's progressed where they weren't the most talented coming out of school, but the upside is huge. And I think that's an important thing. A lot of coaches sometimes overlook when they're looking at what has the athlete previously done instead of what, what can the athlete still do? Now, one of the things, obviously, that concerned us a little bit with you coming in that you and I talked about the first time was obviously the stress fracture history, but more importantly was the volume that you had been doing over the past year because, as you've seen with our philosophy, volume isn't everything. I mean, Diego Estrada runs a 60-minute half marathon off of 70 miles a week, and so we have to be careful in just putting volume as our ultimate performance benefit. And more so just on what is the quality of those miles and have you per- appropriately progressed that overall volume. So you've obviously you've scaled back since you moved here. Mm-hmm. But some of that is to get you adjusted into that new system, increase the intensity, because we can always jump that volume later once you've shown that you've adapted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, that's part of the thing. I said, I want to go out here and I want to try to train. I want to train hard. So how, have you enjoyed Boulder so far? So, yeah. So now, now I'm living in Boulder. I, I, I bit the bullet. I panned into my notice. Worked for about four or five more weeks, and whatever I could fit in my car, I brought out to Boulder, and I gave the rest away, and I moved out here in, on Easter. Was the, yeah. I, I arrived here in Easter on Easter, yeah. and uh, and yeah, I mean it's been. I was I was still coming off the broken foot. Foot was still broken, and I was on sitting right by the Alter G right now. That um, was your friend for the six Alter weeks? G was cool for like fifteen minutes, and then it wasn't cool. But it was nice because I was totally terribly out of shape. Um, I wasn't terribly dedicated to the lifestyle that last month in Madison. I was sort of getting it all out of my system in my in my mind and And you were also hurt. And I was hurt and I was like, I can't even run anyway. I mean I was getting on the bike every day, but like I said, every other minute of my life when I wasn't on the bike was not conducive to being an athlete. And and I was yeah, sort of just getting that at last blow out of my system and I was like, I want to move to Colorado and it's 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 go time. This is it, Tyler. This this is your these are your years to to um, look back on it, it was nice because I it was coming to altitude but I couldn't compare myself to what I was doing before because I was so out of shape I was just just jogging for 30 for 30 minutes was a big accomplishment for me for a while and um, then I started going into workouts but it's great because I'm not comparing myself to anything I was doing at sea level and it, now I'm finally getting into shape and it's easy to try to say oh well, I was doing this but it's sea level I try not to to draw any comparisons at all I'm just going to wait for races. Well, and uh, it's one of those things where we constantly emphasize, you obviously, you're doing what's on paper. You're trying to stick to your schedule regardless of what someone else in the group is doing. But there's no silver bullet workout. You're 
the ultimate focus is just stringing stuff together, staying consistent, staying healthy in that process. And that's something that it's, that's something that's different that a different mentality that I've had in the past is that we run, we, I mean, we, we do, we, we work out a lot during the week and we're, you know, you're doing so much quality throughout the week that you had a bad workout. And like Richie said, you're almost expected to have one bad workout. We work out, we train hard enough. You're, you're almost expected to have a bad workout a week. And bad. And when we phrase bad and not obviously (laughs) Elias had terrible, but when we phrase bad, it's not like it's a completely bombing a workout. It's like you're relatively close to what the goal is. You just weren't able to hit that goal. So it's no panic. Sure. As runners. Yeah. If you're just a couple seconds slow on it on a repeat, that's enough for me to get get pissed off. And yeah. The say, culture uh, in college is yeah. you want to crush the workout. Yeah. But in reality, you can't be on, if you're training hard, if you're training as hard as you should be, you can't be on every day. So switching gears a little bit, Phoebe Wright, um, has been pretty helpful in kind of discussing on Twitter. Some of the things that post-collegiate runners looking at trying to join, uh, a team system after college, should questions they should ask that various team that various coach whether they should seek out an agent what questions to ask that agent what questions to ask to a brand now the tough part with that is is that's only really applicable in most circumstances to that top percentage the top three top four at ncaa division one very few post-collegiate athletes are ready to make the jump to getting an agent very few are being recruited to join a branded team what what questions for the non-top tier, the, the more developmental, that's not being actively like sought out for these these teams, what is it that you would ask the potential coaches? The most important thing to me, so I talked to some other groups too, and other groups that had more to offer that, that, than Roots, the most important thing to me was, are the athletes getting better? And that, that's all I really cared about. I, I'm not coming, I know I'm not going to be making as much money as, as I was in my past life. No matter what, it's going to be a bad financial decision for me. That's for sure. Um, unless I go and make an Olympic team, which I don't foresee, didn't foresee myself doing it in, in, the, in the year or two when I was making the decision. I, it's, it's not about the money. It's not at all about the money. If I'm yeah, we enough, keep saying these aren't NBA contracts. If I'm making enough to even, I mean, yeah, I, I'm becoming more aware of even guys that I still look up to and, and, and am in awe of how much money they're making. Um, compared to the average person that just takes a solid engineering job out of college. But it, the most important question, the thing that I was looking at was, are these guys getting better? And I saw Aaliyah and Noah. And Aaliyah was a 34, a 34 mid 10K runner in college. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't even had her huge breakout 10K yet. But she was running in the 32s, I believe. Yeah, 32.29, she set that to Sunday. Okay, so she's running two minutes for 10K faster than she was. And I was like, okay, that's good. Check. When Mara, I think Mara's NCAA mark was 33.50, and fast forward six months from there, she runs 33.03, so yeah. a 47 second PR in that six month time. So break. I was looking at this girl, Mara, and yeah, she's a multiple time All American, and there's so many athletes. Yeah, they're great in college. She was she kept getting better with this group, and then I see Noah, 68 minute man Noah, and I and then and I heard he and I talked to Richie like. It was the day before. The day before. So, I forget, but... Because he had run 66 in yeah. November. We talked the day before. I was in Houston. Yeah. And Noah was in Arizona about to run Rock yeah. and Roll. Yeah. And then, then I... So, I talked to Richie, and we had a great time. We talked for a ridiculously long time. 
And and then I saw the next day Noah ran sixty four thirty or sixty four seventeen. Sixty four seventeen. I was like, so this guy has PR'd by four minutes since training in this system and it's like, all right, this like some they're onto something here. And that was the most important thing. There are other groups, like I said, that were offering more, but all I'm doing this to get faster. That's all I'm doing. That's the only reason I'm doing it. Um, I don't care if I'm not if I'm not getting faster, but I'm you know, but I'm but oh, but I but I got this cool gear and uh, we travel to these meets, and I have an agent now, and uh, I get a stipend, and um, all this stuff, and I get massaged twice a week, and all this stuff. Who I, that I th- I knew if I had that, but I wasn't running well, I wasn't going to be happy. I agree with Tyler. That's something you definitely like. Your number one question should be: Are the current athletes improving? Not just improving in terms of they're um, still running decent marks. But what did they run in college? What did they run before they came into the system? And how have they run after being in that system? Mm -hmm. So they can still be performing decently nationally, but are they on an upward trajectory? Which is tough to do and to do that consistently because there's obviously going to be a more leveling off um, time frame. Like Noah's not always going to PR by four minutes and a half marathon. Yeah, so, I mean, that was the most important thing. And then then next – personnel well so the other really important thing i was almost certain i wanted to move to altitude because i had that one summer at altitude that i had a very good year after and so i thought i was convinced that altitude was part of it and even if i moved somewhere else if i moved to eugene i'd still be saying oh but but there's but but what if i went to altitude i'd be even better and i don't want to have any what ifs like i want to go to either flagstaff or boulder in flagstaff for me at the time was a little was a little too remote. Mammoth can be argued the same. Oh yeah, nothing yeah, against yeah. Mammoth. I grew up in California. And it's beautiful, but I mean, you're talking about coming from Madison and having that social avenue right outside of the sport mm-hmm. for someone that also wasn't, uh, for lack of a better term, not as committed to the sport as some may be coming out of college. Myself, I would grow up in Southern California in San Diego. I like going to concerts. Like Boulder had that perfect blend, mm-hmm. and we're not saying when we're talking about this, we're not saying that. Boulder is the best place on earth because if I had it my way growing up, I'd live by the beach and surf every day and eat fish tacos as much as I wanted to. But Boulder from a culture standpoint, when it comes to distance running, obviously had that appeal to both of us, which is what drew us to the area. Flagstaff and Mammoth are great training spots, but it also depends on a little bit on that personality of can you see yourself living in that system for a long time? Yeah, and so yeah, there's there's a number a number of factors, and I, I figured that Boulder was just was just a, a little bit more um, kind of sustainable uh, sustainable for me, and and if I if I did get to a point where I really needed to get uh, a real job um, in the Denver area, there's just there's just more going on, and, and you know, and I and I and I uh, you know have a significant other that I was still you know very you know serious about that, and and uh, that was just. It's just that was just just my my situation, um, and I think I think Flagstaff or Mammoth is a great a great decision for a lot of people. For me, it just wasn't ideal. So, how do you now, because you're not working the fifty to sixty hour a week career style job, how do you afford to make that work? Yeah, and so this is the main question. This is whatever this is what everybody asks me. It's like, dude, so how do you do it? How do you get by? And I was talking to some guys. Some, I got this exact question earlier today. I was running by the Boulder Running Camp. I was running with some counselors who were you know, sort of on the fence about maybe trying to take the jump. And I figured out how much I need to work to keep this list life sustainable. And so right now I have a pretty good 
situation where I work for a little startup. I work part-time for a little startup company, and uh, that's it allows for flexible hours. I'm making more than minimum wage, which is nice. Um, then I also work a couple shifts a week at, at a, a really nice athletic club. How, yeah. when, when you were looking at jobs, um, did you discuss professional running with the trying to make professional running work with whoever your boss was going to be? For, yeah, for, for, for my, my, my more primary job, this, this, this part-time job for the startup in Boulder is like a recruiting and headhunting uh, firm. Um, um, and my boss was, he's like, Hey, I just need, I don't, I, I just need you to come in for 20 hours a week. So assuming it's not an epic failure, <laughs> what, uh, what type of goals do you have coming up in the future and what type of races do you have on tap for the fall schedule? Cool. Yeah. So, um, so again, there's like the, the 20 K championships I'm thinking about doing definitely, um, going to make it out to the, uh, USA 10 mile championships out in twin cities. Potentially. Oh yeah. So then, if we're if then if we're really looking looking forward to the future, uh, I think I'm really excited about next winter. Um, so club cross, we're hoping we're going to have enough guys to assemble a team, and then either you know maybe maybe Edinburgh if that goes well, or uh, the Houston half. I'm looking forward to going back there and trying to recreate some magic there and really Lower have some PR. have some momentum going in there. Yeah, and bring that PR down, and then USA cross country. So I've been. I ended up in Bend, and I've really embraced. I really still love cross country, and I'm just you know I'm really hoping to just you know get some solid top tens in these races, and really just start to establish my name as someone that's that's a contender in these races. And I look at guys like Scott Fauble who have just raced to that next level. They have ascended to that next level. Guys like Jim Spizak, like a, a, a PA guy that I used to look up to, and you just change that mindset. You get some solid training under you, and you change that mindset, and you start comparing yourself to different runners. Yeah, we always have the philosophy going in races of better your ranking. And if you take that into every competition, regardless of mm-hmm. the competition, you end up finding yourself in different company each time you go out. Sure. Race. Yeah, you do that a few times. And then before you know, you get these top five, top fives in these races. And so then, yeah, then then leading up to, to next spring, I want to I wanna finally get a chance to bring my track PRs down. I mean, this, this whole spring was kind of a wash for me with my injury and the move and um, next spring, I, want, I mean, I want to make USA's a nice 10K, a nice 5K PR next year, and then there may or may not be a marathon um, in on the horizon. TBD may or may not be a marathon on the horizon, and you know, like it or not, I think that's going to be my forte. Um, so, so we'll see. I think I'm. Ex- I wouldn't say I'm excited for that, but uh, <laughs> they, there will be a marathon, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be ready to go whenever that is. We'll be excited to see what you do this fall. And I went and... for a while there, I think. It's it's all good information and um, something that hopefully those aspiring post-collegiates that are trying to decide whether to pursue career, pursue running, kind of follow the passion, find themselves in a place that they enjoy living, enjoy training, and hopefully see that consistent upswing. All right. Well, thanks, Tyler.